Hello, this is international football commentator Derek Ray, and you're listening to the Ranks FC podcast. Rag Squad and welcome to Rags FC. This is your favourite football podcast coming to you live and direct from the heart of London. Uh, my name is Jack Collins and I will be your host today. And joining me is the Rank God, Mr. Sam Tai. Hello, mate. Hello, mate. And of course, our transfer guru, Mr. Dean Jones. Hello, mate. Hello, mate. Are we all good, boys? Everyone good? Everyone happy? Yeah, good, mate. Fulham one at the weekend, so that's always good. And we're off to a game tonight, so we're happy. Everybody's happy. Um, I've got a cake. Sam's got a neck ache, right? It feels about right, doesn't it? That's the balance of positivity on the pod yeah. set up beautifully. And we're going to be talking Italia. We're going to be talking Calcio today. It is our Serie A preview. And I'm excited to say we've got another special guest. We've got Marco Messina of the famous Italian football TV coming in to join us a little bit later to talk through some of the niche storylines towards the bottom of the table. But before we do that, Sam, we're going to talk through, well, I suppose probably most of the top 10, uh, I think here. And we're going to start with the Champions League race and, and, and go from there. Sure. Okay. Uh, so Jack basically asked me to prepare. What do you think, Sam? One to seven on the table. And this is so, so difficult, but we've given it our best go. And we're actually going to do the unorthodox thing and start at number four. doesn't make sense at all, but it does. I promise. I promise. Because we probably should address the reigning champions first and foremost. I think they've earned that. And you take a look at what Inter have done over the course of the summer. And it's, it's very difficult to stomach I get the feeling. It's like a quote. Look what they've done to my boy. Look what they've done to my boys. Look at them. I mean, what a mess. What a way to enter a season in which you're supposed to be defending your crown. And there is an argument to say that they've done about as well as they possibly can in replacing some players here. But as well as they possibly can has an asterisk over it. And it's like they're broke. They're in financial ruin. And they've basically had to sell their two best players in Lukaku and Hakimi to more or less stay afloat by the looks of it. And let Dumfries in at right wing back. Great. Done as well as you probably can. Edin Dzeko in. He's been trying to join Inter for three years. That's finally come true. And they signed Hakan Chalhanolu on a free transfer from their rivals Milan, who I guess ostensibly is the Christian Eriksen replacement because there are quite serious doubts about whether or not Eriksen can football again. Uh, probably potentially some legal issues as to whether he can play football in Italy for sure. That's three starting members of the 11 last year and it was a very settled 11. So you're already on the back foot and combine that with the fact that, you know, other opponents in this area are getting stronger are getting better and more settled. It leads me to believe that Inter, I may not drop out of the top four, but I'm actually going to place them in fourth. But what I would say in their favour, at least, is this was the best defence in Serie A last season. They conceded just 35 goals and none of the defensive peripherals have gone. I know Hakimi has, but look, he has nothing to do with that defensive record, right? Absolutely nothing. The point is, is the back three, Andanovic and Brozovic are all still there. And that, surely, some of that just carries over. Sure, some of it will just stay in place. You can see natural tendencies, drilled tendencies, just they tend to stick around. And it will it will guide Inter through enough games here, I think, to get back into the top four. Is it fair to say that Inter have basically 
kind of downgraded but stylistically held the same in a lot of positions. And look, you know, to go to Edin Dzeko as a downgrade from Romelu Lukaku is a downgrade, sure. But it's not like you've fallen off the edge of a cliff. Edin Dzeko is a player with proven pedigree in Serie A who will score goals and will fit into this kind of big man, little man system up top. Now, he's not as explosive as Lukaku. He's not as uh, able to take games by the scruff of his neck by himself in the way that Romelu Lukaku did on numerous occasions last year. But he does stylistically fit what the coach is trying to do. And you talk about the coach and they've brought in Simone Inzaghi, who is basically just a budget Conte, isn't he? Like, this is what you've done. You've brought in another coach who plays the same system, who's going to basically try and keep this as close to what's gone before as uh, as he possibly can. Same with Dumfries and Hakimi, right? You, you're brought in a player who basically plays right wing back, will do almost no defensive work and will just bomb up and down the touchline all game in order to try and add you know, an attacking dynamic in, in the final third. So what they've done is, yes, they've downgraded and obviously it was going to be incredibly difficult to replace players of the calibre or and the coach of the calibre of Hakimi, of Lukaku, of Conte. You know, those are, are, are players who... And, and a coach who, who who are absolutely top of the game. They are fully the, the elite of the elite. So to be able to replace them on a budget was always going to be incredibly difficult. And I think Inter, as you say, have probably done about as well as they could in getting players in who probably fill the roles that they might be asked to do. But it does feel like everything is just a bit like 15% worse. Yeah, this is the beauty of having someone like Beppe Marotta as your sporting director. He's one of the best in the business and he understands what he needs to do here. He's obviously been given almost no money at all to play with, but he understands what his coach needs. He understands the need for continuity. He's gone out and he's sourced a manager in Inzaghi who's had a great career in Serie A so far, particularly with Lazio. And he's gone out and taken, yeah, as you say, a couple of players here who are stylistically can be relatively similar. There is a there is a big difference in the amount of speed and breakaway pace that obviously Dzeko and Lukaku have but if you're talking about uh, a reference point striker then yeah you're pretty much on the money and Chalu is the same like 10 slash 8 creative player free kick specialist that Ericsson is and there is a there's a lot of symmetry and a lot of mirroring happening um, unfortunately they haven't been able to replace the the mighty Ashley Young with anybody that's no. the one ma- massive problem here which is the main reason I've got them in fourth. That's it. If they, I mean, if they can't replace Ashley Young, then then who knows what they're going to do? I mean, the big plan. fear though is like, is this over? Is the fire is the is the fire put out yet? Because I'm not convinced it is. And let's see if if Harry Kane does leave Tottenham, I do think that door's still open for Lautaro to leave Inter. I know publicly all the statements are he's happy here. He might sign a new contract. Actually, blah blah blah. Tottenham made an offer a week ago or so for Lautaro. The player is keen to come to England. I know that. And look, it was dressed, it's been dressed up as in briefings that he's going to join, well, if he was to join, it would to be to play with Kane. But I keep remembering, like I've been told by people very well informed that for the past couple of years, Spurs have always liked Martinez as like, a Kane replacement. If Kane was to go, they will. They really like Martinez. So I'm like, if they've made this offer, nothing's happened since. If they did want him to play with Kane, he would be there now, surely. But this has not happened. So have they made their offer and they're just waiting to see if Kane leaves? And if he goes, is Lautaro coming? 
I'm starting to have all these sorts of puzzles in my head these last two weeks of the transfer <laughs> window. But look, if Lautaro left Inter as well, then would they would they even make this far? Yeah, I, this is a good question. I don't know. I mean, as it is, I've got the defensive line still intact, the midfield three still intact. Yeah. Lautaro is currently still there. That's That's got to be enough for a top four spot. I know Inter fans like, I ain't going to like hearing that, obviously being reigning champions, but I feel sorry for them. Inter and Barca fans have had it so, so rough this summer, uh, more than anybody else. And just at least getting top four again might be able to keep the money coming in a little bit more. But yeah, it's 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 not nice, is it, to think about? No, it's it's not a pleasant one, is it? Like, you know, you go from the high of, of the Scudetto, and I'm sure that there are plenty of Inter fans absolutely livid with the way that this situation has played out. And you would be, wouldn't you? You'd be, you'd be absolutely furious. You'd be spitting yeah. if, if if this was your club. And, you know, to say that, oh, well, it's okay, well, you still get Champions League, it is no huge like a tonic to to a club who went and won the Scudetto and ended Juventus's reign over them, you know, which they would have hated so much, you know, as uh, as such fierce rivals in the Derby d'Italia. You know, mm. that, that would have that would have hurt. Every single time they saw Juventus winning a trophy, it would have hurt. And, and to go and end that reign and, and, and then it all be brought crashing down around you, it seems, does feel like it, well, it, it's yeah. a real shame. And, and I think that, look, I, I don't think into will be miles off the pace, if I'm honest. I just think that it took almost everything to to ride it out last year and and get that over the line. And I think being 10, 15% worse, which is where I could see them being, is just not going to be enough this year. I think this might be a wee bit harsh, if I'm honest, Sam. I probably would have had them at three, but mm. I um I, I can completely see where you're coming from. Yeah, it's no, it's, it's no great comfort, is it, to hear that uh, actually I've got their cross city rivals AC Milan ahead of them in third and I'll hand this one over to Dean because Dean is our resident AC Milan watcher but I've got a little bit more faith in the um direction and the and the the project there happening than I look at Inter and I just see a bonfire and I, 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 it's very difficult to really back them in that scenario but it's a bit different over at Milan it's a bit different I mean they've obviously still got issues in that Donnarumma and Shalanoglu have gone and that, that's two real key members of your team from last season and um, not just on the pitch. I think those guys, particularly Donnarumma, was obviously a big part of the club generally. Um, what they have got though, I guess, is, you know, the rebuild will go on, by the way, at Milan. This is this is a, a process by which they, they just intend to keep getting stronger and they've got good investment, good backers that believe they can get Milan back to those glory days that most of us can just about remember. Um, <laughs> but uh, look, they are back in the Champions League and they still got Pioli as coach. And there's not many times that you go into Milan season saying they've still got their manager from last season. Um, <laughs> and, you know, he's sticking around. And we do doubt him, you know, various times throughout the season. And he usually is coming up with answers as to how he can react and, and get AC Milan back on track. Obviously, they did hold a lead in the title race for the long part of last season, most of the first half of the season, but then just couldn't hold off Inter as they became stronger and stronger. And that's no great travesty because, you know, Milan wouldn't were not expecting a title challenge at the beginning of the season and they exceeded most people's expectations. But, you know, the, the question now becomes, okay, so if they're chasing these, these past glory days, can they manage it? And, you know, coupling the, the challenges of, 
competing in Serie A alongside a Champions League campaign again is going to be difficult with the squad. Um, you look at the kind of business that they've done in the summer. Um, it's not bad at all. Like Brahim Diaz has, has come in again and the Balator is there. Uh, Mike Mannion's come in to replace Donnarumma. Tamori's there permanently now. And of course, they've added Olivier Giroud as well. Um, I'm still not convinced that they can balance out those two competitions. But look, we, that is guesswork at this point and we'll have to see how, how the season pans out and how Pioli plans to manage it. I, I guess my main concern will be in attack because Ibrahimovic and Olivier Giroud have a combined age of almost 80. Yeah, I was um, going to say it's 76, <laughs> if I'm not mistaken. But it is, yeah, I was uh, just doing a lot of my head. I couldn't quite get there, so I said almost 80. They're not going to play together, are they? It's not a geriatric strike force partnership. It's, 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 it's one, it's one or the one. other, though, isn't it? Yeah. And and the, the, the fear, I guess, is that injuries, because they are 35 and 39, like there is a big, big danger of injuries to at least one, Ibra particularly. Like, Ibra misses half a season every season half nowadays. A season. And the guy you're turning back to is Olivier Giroud, who's 35. And let's face it, doesn't really play full seasons of football anymore. Like he, when was the last time he got a good run out? Like Chelsea, he's been a bit part player in, in the past couple of years. So we don't know what Olivier Giroud is going to do on a weekly basis. I think he's a great addition and I think he'll make a big difference. They've still got Rafael Liao and they've still got other options that they can they can use in attack, of course. But then, of course, taking Chalanoglu out of the equation as well, that is quite a big deal. That is quite a big deal. I know it wasn't a massive surprise that he did leave, but I'm not sure that they're, they've done enough to replace him. What do you reckon? I don't, I don't think they've finished yet. Obviously, I'm judging on what they are right yeah, now, yeah, but like, I, I do, do see a lot of do see a lot of links and a lot of chat about different players. And I'm sort of half convinced they're going to end up signing Nikola Vlasic to to come into this position, um, which would be which would be a wonderful signing. To be fair, they've been trying to they've been trying to do that for a long time. Um, you see, see reports and links about Milan and Nikola Vlasic every day for the last like eight months. Yeah, um, I think that's even being particularly conservative. If I'm honest, it's been years. <laughs> <laughs> it's been years. Um, so yeah, I think I think I think they're not done there yet. Um, but Pioli has has basically been given two strikers that he likes to work with. Like we're, we're worried about you know the, the the age and the style or whatever. Like this is what Pioli wants. He he plays with a big man. He wants to play with Zlatan and he, and he wants Giroud. He doesn't want to play with Liao. It's like if you can find him another thirty six year old target man, he'll take him. Or Jeko was on the market. Jorge Molina from Granada is 39 now. I mean, I'm surprised there's not been a bid. <laughs> Get, him it, it, Get him in. Get him in. We're we're concerned about it, but this is this is the squad he wants. This is yeah. what he wants. Um, Tomori permanently. Kessi looks like he's going to be sticking around. Benacer is still there. Yeah. There are some really, really, really good players in this team. Yeah, that's all really important, and and Kessi particularly because I had heard quite a few whispers throughout the summer that Kessi might have his head turned and might look for a move. And there's issues over his contracts and stuff and renewals. And the fact he's still there is important because he was brilliant last season. Uh, Tottenham actually had a sniff around him, tried to get him, but just had no joy at all. So, yeah, they've still got that. Basically, they have to exceed expectations again. Like They have to go one step further than they did last year because last year we didn't think didn't even have a discussion probably about them being in the title race. And they were for a long while. Now we've seen them finish second. 
So now we, we do talk about them as title contenders and they, and they have to now go that extra step further and actually win the title in the season, as I say, when they are in the Champions League. Look, probably the best chance they've got of actually winning the league is to go out in the group stages of the Champions League, like as, as sad as that is to say. But realistically, you can't expect to balance both of those things with this squad and, and have success on both fronts. So that will probably have to happen. They'll probably look at what Inter did last season and the manner that their success came about and think there are parts of that we actually now need to learn from a mirror. Um, the way that Inter Milan won the league last year is probably AC Milan's best chance of winning the league this year because they mu- there's a decent chance they start slowly because they will focus on those first couple of Champions League games because it's such a big deal for them to be back in the frame there. But if it doesn't go to plan, then attention will quickly have to switch back to, like, OK, let's actually get back to what we really should be focusing on and that's that's making sure we're in this title race yeah i think that's completely fair enough and um, it is one of those strange ones where you look at it and you you think are milan as good as they were last year i think the answer is no uh, yeah, i think milan have well. got significantly worse in losing donnarumma and chalhanoglu and someone did point out last season how much donnarumma kept milan in games especially when they were tight and when they were edging towards this and it was all very nervy Donnarumma was the man who came up trumps. Now, Mike Mignon is a wonderful goalkeeper, right? And, and I'm making no no cook, you know, statements that he's not going to be good for Milan. Is he going to save them as many points as Donnarumma did? I don't think so. I could be wrong. Um, you know, it's one of those things. He might take to Serie A like a duck to water and he might just become the best keeper in, in the land straight away and Milan can rely once again on having the best keeper in the division, basically. But if he doesn't, which is a perfectly reasonable thing, if he's a third or fourth best goalkeeper in the league, which again is just pretty reasonable, then Milan, I think, are in trouble. And I I think Milan could see themselves outside this top four this year. That's where I I sit on this. So I dropped them a spot in the league. Obviously, they actually ended up somehow squeaking their way back into second uh, last year, uh, thanks to a, a final a final day win against Atalanta, probably one of the most nervy games I think I've ever seen play. Um, so I dropped them one. If you're dropping them three, I think that is that's probably a bit harsh. But uh, yeah, bit more faith in right for me, probably a bit more faith in Manyan and less faith in Chalhanolu than you guys have got. He irritates me. He's so inconsistent. He's so inconsistent. Yeah, that's great, get but the, they haven't got anyone to replace him. No, no. Get the Brahim Diaz era rolling. Yeah, get no, him I'd, in there. I'd like to believe Full in time Brahim Diaz. Brahim I'd, I'd Diaz. Like to, I, I know, and that's why I was like, I'm not sure they've done enough to replace him because I don't know if Brahim Diaz is going to step up enough. Like, I hope he does because he's a great player, but yeah, he's inconsistent yeah. as well. So, well, Yeah, we'll have to, we'll have to see. Um, but the, the team they beat, on the uh, final day of last season to squeak into second is Atalanta. And I've I've got Atalanta next. I've got them basically consolidating in second quite comfortably, to be honest with you. Um, I think this is a shorter a shorter bio than the, the two Milan clubs because it's just been a bit quieter. Um, there were some rumours that, you know, Duvan Zapata would would go to Inter, but it looks like they've managed to stave off that threat with, with Jekyll obviously making the move instead. Um, they're pretty stable. Atalanta. They've upgraded in goal. They've signed Juan Musso from Udinese and sent Golini on loan to Tottenham. Musso is a lot better than Golini. And uh, they may have lost Romero, their best defender from last season, but they've replaced him with Demirel, you know, uh, on loan as well, just to see what happens. And they brought in Matteo Lovato, who is one of the more promising under-23 Italian centre-backs. So 
I just kind of look at the team and I'm like, well, Gasparini's still there. The crazy play style is still there. You've still got your wing backs. You've still got your forwards from last season. You're going to score another 85 goals. Uh, yeah, you're good. And in a, ti- in a time where Milan are dealing with key key departures, in a time where Inter looked like a bonfire at points, in a time where everybody changed manager, I think that consistency is something to be spoken for. And I fancy Atalanta to just kind of cruise into second and look relatively clear almost of the Milan clubs and everybody else apart from the you know the one and number one yeah I think this is it like it's so hard to look at at Atalanta's business right and you go oh how good was Romero last season and you're like okay it's fine they just (laughs) they brought in Demerel like it'll just be fine won't it and and it does feel like look I think the, the the point being, and I said this a little bit about about Brentford when I was saying that that when you have a team who consistently bring in players of a high caliber and they continually replace, you go, how are they going to replace these players? And they just do it. Atalanta feels similar. It's like I'm not worried about Atalanta because I'm just pretty confident that they're going to do it and then they're going to be absolutely fine and they're going to continue bringing in talent because the model just clearly works so well and clearly is you know will continue to work. And so every time they bring someone in, even if I don't know them, I'm like, yeah, they'll, they'll almost certainly be a household name in two years, so it doesn't <laughs> really matter. Um, and, and I've just got such faith in this Atalanta system, such faith in Gasparini that I, I don't think you could have anyone else in here, if I'm honest. No, not really. Should we just move it straight to number one? <laughs> it's plausible. It's um, but I mean, look, normally we're going to spend a lot of time over the course of the year speaking about Atalanta because we always do, right? Because we love what they're about. We love the yeah. way that they play. We love, you know, watching them play football. And I'm, you know, they're one of the locks. As soon as you see them on a on a, on a thing for for. for this weekend and see what time they're playing. You're like, right, lock that in. That's uh, that's when we're watching Atalanta. So it's no disrespect. It's more kind of just like, let's just get underway and, and, and excited to see what they bring to the table this year. Yeah, absolutely. But I do have one team besting them. Uh, I think it's a return of the big bad wolf. And I will hand this one back over to Dean as well for... Yep, Juventus. Yeah, good team, Juventus, traditionally in Serie A, aren't they? Um, yeah. You can't imagine that they're going to have too much time outside a top spot because it's been pretty rare um, in, our, in our recent times. Um, obviously, the key here is having Allegri back at the helm. Um, he was in charge of Juve before from 2014 to 2019. In that time, he won the Serie A five times in a row before leaving. Uh, He won the Coppa Italia four times. He was Champions League runner-up a couple of times. Um, He did a pretty good job, I think it's fair to say. He (laughs) left with a win percentage of 70.48%, which was the highest in the history of the football club. Since then, they've tested out Maurizio Sarri and obviously Andrea Pirlo last season. Sarri had success, but there were other issues which led to him leaving and Pirlo really did not have much success at all and did not get on with a lot of individuals at the club either, um, which was sad to see, to be honest, because it was obviously a big gamble and we didn't want to see his, his name tarnished because the legend of the game, a legend of the club, but it is what it is and it wasn't a massive surprise that he failed. Um the good news is Juve did manage to scrape into the top four last season. So they have got Champions League football. It wasn't a complete disaster. And they've now got Allegri back to settle things. And they still have quite an array of talent. And I'm mainly really going to focus here on, on the front options because this in itself should win you the league. Um, 
I looked at how they've been gearing up for pre-season. Obviously, it's difficult because a lot of their players were involved in the late stages of the Euros and whatnot. So in their early friendlies, you know, they lost to Barcelona, but it wasn't really their team. And I think they played a 4-4-2 in that game and stuff. But uh, they played Atalanta the other day. They beat them 3-1. Um, the front three, they had Chiesa on the right, Dybala in the centre and Ronaldo on the left. It's an indication of how we can expect them to line up next wow. season. Um, and in the second half, uh, Kulisevsky and Morata were both introduced to give <laughs> those lads a breather. <laughs> this is what we're expecting, right? Um, this is probably going to be the formation that we see, at least from the start. We've seen Allegri in the past be flexible and we will continue to see that. I'm sure he, last time around, he did use a 4-4-2, use a 3-5-2 if he needs to, 4-4-1-1, whatever it might be. But... Just having these options alone in attack with Allegri managing them, they're at least in the title race and they're probably going to win it. It, it. it is actually as simple as that because Dybala has got the bit between his teeth to prove himself again at Juventus. He shouldn't have to do that, but with Allegri, it will help him to do that. Ronaldo, there was obviously talk about him leaving. There is still some talk about him leaving. I see he's been linked to Real Madrid again. Um that's not going to happen. Uh, Ronaldo will be having his farewell season in Serie A, so he'll still be there. And then Chiesa, like Chiesa is the guy. He's the trump that, card, isn't he? That's what he, he is. Really He's the is, trump card. It? Because, you know, last season was his season getting to grips with a club like Juventus. We all had seen the raw talent and the, and the flashes of brilliance at Fiorentina and then when he first came into the team, but he needed time to adapt to the levels that are expected of you and the size of the club and the pressure that comes with it. And by the end of the season, he was starting to fly. And then in the Euros, he completely took off. Everybody knows who he is now. And look, fans are back now. It's it's the time for him to start delivering. And I think we are in for a season of phenomenal attacking football from this team. It's a funny one, isn't it? Because... I do. I do distinctly remember the the last days of Allegri in his in his in his uh, previous reign, and there was a fair amount of disgruntlement with the football that his team played yeah. and the football that he was able to actually conjure. I, I remember sitting there thinking, surely Juventus, with all of this attacking talent, are actually better than what they are showing. It was basically just back post crosses to Mandzukic and Ronaldo. It was quite rudimentary stuff. And I remember sitting there thinking, they are and can be better than this. They can be more artful. They can be more creative. They can be better to watch. And I think a lot of Juventus fans probably felt the same. And Juventus clearly did because the Allegri uh, reign came to an end. Then they started to look at those options. They went to Sarri, who, you know, if anything, just plays beautiful football. They went to Pirlo, who played beautiful football. And at the end of those two years, where are Juventus fans? They just want to win. Oh, please, just let us win games. And that's exactly what Allegri did. They've kind of gone, they flipped from one to the other. They're like, yeah, we're winning, but surely we can do it better too. I just want to go back to winning. I hate this, you know, and it's it's funny how it works and I'm completely with them. Like you watch two years of Sarri and Pirlo and you can't wait for Allegri to get back in that door, but don't forget where he left them. Yeah, that's no, true. But And then the danger as well of falling away for another season is that you suddenly yeah. don't get seen for a while because yeah. players start to leave. And, you know, as I say, there's probably very likely to be Ronaldo's last season with them. Um, and then you start to think about who comes in for him. And there's so much talk about Dybala. Wouldn't be a massive surprise if he does eventually leave and try something else. Um, and you start, you know, Bonucci and Chiellini, that starts to go away. And then you're starting to come into a completely new era once those guys are passed. And 
that's a that's a dangerous time, especially if you haven't got somebody there that understands the club. And that's what Allegri is going to oversee mm. here. There's going to be a, a change of, of the team over the next two seasons. And they've got brought in a guy that understands what the club stands for. And yeah, you're right. Like, it wasn't always beautiful attacking football, but that also comes as a result of him probably winning the league five times in a row in his time there. Like, you can't win it the same style every time. And... You just see, you just adapt to what you've got, I guess. And if you've got Mandzukic and Ronaldo who can who can jump a foot higher than everybody else, like it seems an obvious <laughs> tactic to employ at times. I'm sure. Oh, definitely. And yes. the most important thing at a club like Juve is win. You just got to win. Yeah, that's it. It's one of those ones that have this image of uh, of Max Allegri sitting there in in the Thanos pose, where like you could not live with your own failure. <laughs> where did that bring you? Back to me. Back um, to me. But I mean, so I watched watched the game against Atalanta last week, and it was a, a really impressive performance from from Juventus. And and obviously, seeing that kind of Chiesa, Dybala, Ronaldo front three was just like, okay, please, if you can make this work, then let's do it. But there was a goal they scored. Dybala scored, and it was a delight. It was sort of own box to back of the net within about seven passes and 16 seconds and it was the most lightning break I've seen in a long time we've watched a lot of lightning breaks over the course of this first weekend in football um but it was amazing and there was a lot of people being like oh Allegri ball is back and I was like I'm not sure this is what I remember Allegri ball being last time round, <laughs> if I'm honest but um if this is what it is going to be then I think it could be a whole load of fun as well um mm. so it just feels it feels I suppose also that Juventus are just a lot more settled than pretty much anyone else. There's like basically been no ins and outs. It's just like very calm. There's been, you know, Weston McKennie on the, on, on a permanent transfer after his loan spell is the only thing that's actually been done in terms of, of Juventus's, Juventus's kind of ins and outs. And they've lost, obviously, uh, Mary Demaral to Atalanta. That's where we're happy to do. They were happy to do that as well, so that's Mm. fine. The only possible one on the horizon here is surely Locatelli, which 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 has been rumbling and rumbling and rumbling. Absolutely fine, and we'll we'll come on to Sass anyway. So, but yeah, look, does that add all that adds is more depth in midfield? It's not a there's no harm in that, and it it makes them better. It's a four three three, right? Which is what we kind of expect to see at this point from Allegri. If he slots into that midfield for I don't know, probably Aaron Ramsey, looking at the last lineup or Bernadeschi on the left-hand side of that three, then, you know, happy days, frankly. It's, um, mm-hmm. It is one of those that you go, well, Juventus are just better for having done that. And the strength off the bench as well, you know, you, you look at who they're bringing off and look at Kulisevsky, you look at McKenney, you look at even the likes right. of, you know, a, a Luca Pellegrini, who I really like, um, and a Maratta coming off the bench. There's a lot going on here that you, you go, okay, Juventus could, could, could well just absolutely walk this again this year if they get this right. With everybody else a little bit in turmoil, I, I think that this is probably as comfortable as it might might get for Juventus for a little while because I think people after this year will improve, will get stronger, will be able to bounce back a little bit from the financial crisis that have been imparted upon them by this pandemic. Um, so, so that's where I'm at with it. Right, should we move to the 5-7 to seven range to finish this off? Yeah, I think that seems like a, right, a, a good idea. Okay, this is also very difficult because when you get to the five, six, seven range in Italy, it, it feels like a bit of like a much of a muchness. They all feel quite level, quite stable. Yeah. Um, but I know that you and I are going to differ on one potentially quite key part here, which is I'm actually going to go fifth place Lazio, mm-hmm. sixth place Roma. And I know you're going to disagree with that because you've been telling me all summer that Roma are going to bag top four. Yeah, I'm putting Roma in fourth. <laughs> 
Putting Roma in at four. Um, I, I actually have, I think I've got it Juventus, Atalanta, Inter, Roma, Milan. That's yeah. where I that's where I sit with with this. Look, I'm I'm looking at this Roma side, and it's all a bit chaotic, right? There, there's loads going on. There's ins, there's outs, there's there's ups, there's downs. They've played nine games in preseason. Nine, like who plays nine preseason games? <laughs> and and it's been incredibly explosive. We talked about a couple of weeks back on the pod about the four red cards at, at Betis in that five two loss. They won five nil against Raja Casablanca last week. They won three one against Bissad. Drew one all with Porto. Nil nil with Sevilla. And and Mourinho is experimenting with who he's got, what youth are ready, who's coming through. He settled, I think, on this four two three one. That's exactly where he wants to be. This front three rotating off that top spot are now Tammy Abraham, who signed this morning, got it done over the line. He is a Roma player. Um, Elder Shamorodov, who I really like, and I've been talking about a little bit. I think he's going to be a really fun backup option. He's a mobile target man um, to come in, and 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 Borja Mayoral. So there's pace up there. And there's movement, which you didn't have with Ed and Dzeko, right? This is, this is something. Now, a lot of us thought that Mourinho would come in and be like, oh, Dzeko's going to be my target man. I want a big guy up top who, who everyone else can play off. It looks like he's, he wants movement from, from what I've been watching in preseason. There's a lot of balls being you know fired through to that, that lone target man, trying to get him in behind the line of defense, playing off the shoulder almost. Um, and then it's that kind of three behind is... Well, it's a, it's a toss-up between Mkhitaryan, El Shirawi, Zaniolo and Pellegrini, which is a nice kind of rotation to have. And Zalewski, the youngster, as the kind of fifth option there, which is, which is a cool one as well. In the, in the pivot, he's kind of started off through preseason with, with the youngsters, with, with Darbo and with Bove, who are who both really impressed. I think they're going to be the kind of backup conference league options. I think they're going to rotate into the squad. We'll see more of them this year. But then again, in front of them, you've got Diawara, Cristante and Veratu. And of course, Pellegrini can drop back into that rotation as well and play as part of the pivot as well as playing as a 10. And then he just seems to have this very settled back line. He's had Mancini and Smalling pretty much the whole way through as his first choice centre-halves. He, he's got Karsdorp on the right-hand side, who's very solid. And he's brought in Matthias Vigna, who we talked about on LiveScore a couple of weeks ago. Um, and what he brings to the table, that kind of aggression, that rumbling height, the, the fact that he is able to get up and down, but also that he's a, he's a very physical presence and will be able to, to, to give Mourinho what he wants from a fullback. And you look at that as, as Karsdorp, Karsdorp, by Karsdorp the way. and Vigna as fullbacks. This is a big back line. And he's brought in Rui Patricio to be, to be the first choice goalkeeper, right? In, instead of Paolo Lopez, which it's obviously someone he trusts, uh, obviously someone that he, he feels can come in and just give a little bit more stability there at the back. But then you look at the, the options he's got behind that, you know, a left back, Trippi and Calafiori in the center, Ibanez and, and Kumbula and right back Reynolds. There's a lot of, there's a lot of talent. There's a lot of experience here that you think Mourinho would be able to work with. I think there's enough in this Roma squad to rotate on a couple of fronts and be competitive, give youngsters their go in, in the Europa League, especially in the, in the Europa Conference League, especially in the group stages. Look, I think Mourinho is someone who will look to this and go, let's get through the group stages. And if we get to the final kind of last 16, last eight, let's go and win it because silverware is silverware. You've seen that. He's done that in the Europa League. You've seen him do it in, in, in League Cups. And I think he would see that as a victory but I think there's enough in this squad to be able to rotate it relatively heavily and still have enough talent to fight quite continuously on two fronts I fancy Roma here to get fourth it's a big old squad and one of the things that sort of struck me with the Dzeko departure you're right I mean it does feel quite Mourinho although having recently done and this is actually how I figured this out because I hadn't really appreciated it before having recently done a football manager career with Roma 
I didn't realize one, how big the squad was and two, some of the wages that they've been handing out to a team that have not been in the Champions League now for a while and are now in the Europa Conference League, not even the Europa League. Dzeko was on north of 200 grand a week and Pastor is still sitting there on 150. And like the wage bill at Roma is actually tragic. And so I know that Roma probably weren't delighted to get rid of Dzeko or say goodbye to him, I should probably say. But at the same time, there's a certain amount of saving that's happening there that will probably make them a little bit more sustainable, which is kind of important out of a pandemic year. And getting a bit younger, getting a bit cheaper, while also keeping that squad that can fight on all fronts, I think think they've done some good work off the field this summer. And it all comes down to Mourinho. It really does. And I am just not as faithful as you are yeah no i mean look i've I've criticized Mourinho at great length before for, for some of the things he's done i just have a funny feeling this is really going to suit him there's something in me that's telling me that this is really really going to suit Mourinho. it's going to suit roma and there's enough here for him to work with in a league that he knows very well that he's been comfortable in that he's you know got a, a really good reputation in and with a fan base coming back in that I think is going to back him to the hilt. And we've seen it. You know, we posted a, a video on YouTube back when he was appointed, right, about what he brings to the table and the amount of Roma fans like delighted in the comments section was through the roof, you know, absolutely yeah. over the moon about this. Now, look, that's not to say that it's going to work, but I do have a good feeling and I trust my gut on this one. I think this is going to be a success. So I went for Lazio in fifth ahead of Roma. Um, I like the fact that Maurizio Sarri has come in and signed his favourite player in the world, Elsad Husay, the right back. It's like, <laughs> if Sarri gets his hands on Husay, it's over, guys. It's done. He's going to achieve everything he wants. Um, but in all seriousness, it looks very 4-3-3 in pre-season. I think we're going to see very similar football to what we saw at Napoli, which was thrilling. It was beautiful. Looks like Milinkovic, Savic and Luis Alberto are now the eights in a 4-3-3, which is pretty sexy. Mm. And there's a little under the radar storyline here is that Felipe Anderson, after falling completely and utterly off the map at West Ham and on loan at Porto and all sorts of rubbish. Felipe Anderson is back at Lazio yeah. full-time, permanently. They paid a very nominal fee for him. He's been a massive feature during preseason and stuck somewhere inside Felipe Anderson is an excellent footballer. We saw it at Lazio to begin with and I think we'll see it again. I think they're on, I think he's on a bounce back curve and I'm very excited about what I'm going to see here from Lazio. So I put them fifth, I put Roma in sixth and I put Napoli in seventh. What the hell is going to happen with Luciano Spalletti? I mean, we haven't seen him for a couple of years after a pretty underwhelming time at Inter. I remember being pretty pumped about that Inter side he had. He had Perisic in basically post-World Cup form, which was like the best Perisic I think we've ever seen. And he had Nangalan uh, at Inter. And yeah, it just didn't really pan out. They ended up like 20 points off Juve in the total race, finishing fourth. Spalletti's an explosive guy. De Laurentiis is an interesting chairman. I can see something happening here. I'm not I don't know what to say. I, I would I would say that Napoli are my absolute wild card here because of the manager and where they're going. But notable, there have been no transfers mm. at Napoli. Like it's fine. Husai has gone to Lazio, but Husai was their like third choice right back. That's it. Like that is it. No signings. There's rumours that uh, Lorenzo Insigne is not signing a new contract, and that Inter Milan want him as a kind of rotator for Lautaro Martinez. Now, uh, sorry, you can't sign you can't sign Insigne and rotate him. 
That is yeah. outrageous. Yeah, well, that's that's that was what was was being rumored. Also, like, it's I, I really hate it. Like, Lorenzo Insigne is a Neapolitan, and he should remain at Napoli until his dying day. Frankly, as far as I'm concerned, <laughs> there should be there should be no way that Lorenzo Insigne ever ever leaves the Diego Armando Maradona. That that that's where I'm at. Well, let him know. Well, I will. I will. I'll, be- I'll, I'll tweet him. Yeah, I let him know. I let him know. But yeah, no, I, I think that sounds like something he needs to know, Jack. Yeah, I, I agree. Look, I, I'm with you though on on kind of where this is. Like, I haven't. I'm, I'm a bit kind of Nap- if Napoli start the season well, I think we could all be like, oh, okay, fine, everything is going to be okay. But it it does feel like something that's kind of come from nowhere, and we're like, okay, this could go anywhere. Yeah. Yeah, don't know what to say about them. So do the safe thing and stick them in seventh. Stick them in seventh. Well, I mean, the, the, <laughs> the big question, I suppose, is that if it doesn't work, there's a couple of challenges in here that that perhaps they, well, they're, they're probably going to have a problem with. Now, I was going to put, I'll start with Sassuolo because they came eighth the last couple of years. So they broke their own record points total last year. They got 62. Um, and they got 62 with Sigio Caputo out for long periods with injury. Now, they've lost Roberto to Zerbi, and it looks likely that they're going to lose Locatelli. So let's start with the manager. It's a bit of a weird one. Obviously, people love the Zerbi style. We, you know, we've seen him now at Shakhtar. He's brought the exact same style there. He's going to play that high octane, high energy, high press, absolute get at them at every opportunity style of play. Um, and they've brought in Alessio Dionisi from Empoli, who... Well, he led Empoli to the Serie B title last year, and it's a bit different. It's it's going to change a little bit here, and I think it's quite interesting. Look, Deserbi's a hard act to follow, um, but Dionisi favours a four-three-one-two, which we've seen before with, uh, well, Gianpaolo was a was a famous proponent of of this formation at Sampdoria, and obviously then went to Milan. It didn't work there, but we thought that that formation was quite an interesting one. The problem is that. If they lose Locatelli, the three in the middle is so light right now. The, the three in the middle, you could probably play there. Maxime Lopez, Pedro Obiang, and Mehdi Borabia. That's it. Like that, That's all they've got in there if they lose Locatelli. Now, I think they need more even keeping Locatelli, to be perfectly honest with you. Uh, and, and you could argue that, can you fit Juricic, Berardi, Boga into this system with only one ten position and neither, none of them strike me as players who are particularly comfortable playing as an eight. Um, even if it is an eight in a, you know, a three that's allowed to break forward, it, it doesn't strike me as a system that's necessarily going to be as easy to fit this Sassuolo squad into because of how it works. However, the two up front, I really like here because the emergence of Raspadori alongside someone like a Caputo or also Defrel, who's still kicking about, um, you know, as a two, allowing those two to rotate, who are obviously a bit heavier along the line, who are a bit further along in their career paths, I think works really, really nicely. And in that regard, you know, getting this SAS squad to to kind of tick along, to work, to to really push forwards with a new manager is going to be really tricky. But I think we need to keep an eye on them because... Well, this could be really, really interesting under Dionisi, I think, and and that's a that's a huge, huge bonus. Yeah, Deserbi, very, very difficult act to follow. Amazing season last season. Some of the best football as well. So not just kind of punching above Sassuolo's relative weight, but also providing one of the best actual watching football experiences. So 
does kind of feel like the end of a little journey or mini era for SAS, maybe, which is a bit sad to say, but we'll have to see, I guess. Yeah, it's um, it's a funny one, but you think, look, all of my challenger teams here are under new management, so there is that kind of element that you know we talked about the fact that the Napoli were were under new management, and and look, last week or two weeks ago on the on the Bundesliga preview show, we talked about the fact that there is you know there's been this kind of role of of manager merry-go-round. There's been one in in Italy as well, you know. There, there's been a huge huge jump of of managers mm-hmm. across this top ten. You know, we we're talking maybe seven of these teams under new management. That's pretty you know that's a pretty big number so there's that to bear in mind um that there's always going to be things that don't necessarily look as we think they might do at the start of the season but i'll move on to fiorentina who uh, brought in vincenzo italiano uh, from spezia as their new manager after the shambles that was the whole gattuso saga where canaro gattuso joined the club for approximately 16 days as the manager before quitting <laughs> due to a lack of available funds for transfers by the look of things. But to be perfectly honest with you, I think Fiorentina might have slightly upgraded, if I'm being honest. I like Gattuso. I think he's a good manager. And I think he would have brought a little bit of bite and snap to, to the Fiorentina dressing room. But I also really, really impressed with, with what Italiano did with Spezia last year. And, and I think that actually looking at this as kind of a long-term well, hopefully a long-term investment for Fiorentina because it feels like the club has been in turmoil for so, so long that actually getting someone in who who might be able to provide a little bit of stability over a couple of seasons, I think is a huge, huge positive. Um, I think the transfer business has been pretty good. Um, Nicolas Gonzalez is the, the kind of, well, I would say the, the headline transfer, 21 million from Stuttgart. We saw how good he was at the Copper America on that left-hand flank, getting up and down. He's an absolute workhorse, and I think he's going to be a star. He was excellent for Stuttgart last year, and and he's only 23 years old. I think, one, there's massive sell-on value here, um, but two, he, he fits into a front three of him, Vlavic, and Jose Callahan as a, a really, really nice balance of experience, youth, and uh, and talent there, I think. So so there's that to, to look forward to. Um, obviously, the fact that Fiorentina are here as my challenger, I, I think I think they can have a go at seventh on the condition that they keep Vlahovic because at the moment there looks like there's a 70 million bid on the table from Spurs for Vlahovic and Milenkovic together, which I think is a little bit low for both of them, if I'm being perfectly honest. I think 70 million might get you Vlahovic. I don't think it gets you Milenkovic as well. Um, there's also reported talks with Atletico um, about uh, about selling Vlavic to well to Diego Simeone, so and we'll West see. Ham coming in for Milinkovic. Exactly. So there's a lot of things. There was also rumours that club captain Herman Petzela was going to be off to Betis, but considering they now look like they might be in for Diego Godin, um, perhaps that one is now on the back burner. There were it looked like that was going to be a merry-go-round. Petzela was going to Betis, and then Fiorentina registered interest in in bringing Godin in, and I think Betis has just gone. Oh no, we will just have Godin, and then we'll save you all this uh will save you all the hassle so so that's good and um, we, we stopped ourselves a little transfer saga there um but yeah look Malice come in as well and 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 Spezia and Italiano is going to play this 4-3-3 um 
But at Spurs, he had such a deep squad that they basically rotated every week. Now, Fiorentina don't have this. Um, they do. He will play with a low block, which should suit Pizzella, I think, a little bit. And he wants midfielders with energy, which I think gives a massive lease of life to Eric Pulgar, who I think is going to be an absolute star for Italiano. His energy levels, his work rate, his ability to win the ball back deep and then carry it into the opposition half uh, means that I think he could be the kind of key man here alongside uh, Jack Bonaventura uh, and Gaetano Castrovilli. So it's a nice midfield. There's, there's a lot of there's a lot of balance. There's a lot of talent here. Um, and across the course of this season, if Vlavic stays, if Milenkovic stays, I think Fiorentina can challenge for Europe. Um, but there's a lot of ifs and buts there. And, and, and Dean, I know there's a lot of interest in Vlavic. Yeah, a lot. Um, I hope he stays for another year. I think it's quite important that he does too. Um but, you know, I, I do have this feeling whereby, like, if, if Tottenham can get him, um, especially if they can get him and Lautaro at the price that they're going to get for Harry Kane, then that's actually a really good piece of business and a really good way of replacing him. Um, definitely been looked at by them and a number of other clubs. Um, inclination from quite a lot of people is that he would probably wait for another Italian club next year, which does make a lot of sense. Um, but we'll find out in the next week or so when when uh, Spurs cash in on Kane. <laughs> and uh, when, when not if, yeah, <laughs> we'll see, lads. We'll see. Um, last but not least in this uh, discussion, I feel like we probably have to talk about Sampdoria now. Again, a new manager in Diverso has come in for Ranieri, um, and obviously he was a man that got relegated last season with Parma. Although it was one of the weirdest seasons ever, he looked sort of half got sacked in the middle of the season and then got brought back in because the fans were furious that he got sacked, but also furious with him, which led to him getting sacked in the first place. So, I mean, make of that what you will. Um, but <laughs> he's in here at Samp now, who are a bit of a funny squad. And there's a lot of young talent in here. I mean, look, the, and the headline of which is, is going to be Mikel Damsgaard, who obviously had an absolutely wonderful Euro stepping in there in, in the 10 creator role in terms of, of how he was. But they also have another Danish talent in, in Christopher Skildsen, who I think is, is someone who looks like he, he might also be someone who's 20 years old. I think he's going to jump in this season and he's been around the club for about a year now, I think. Um, I think this season could be where we really see him break out. And, and Sam Perk sort of have a, a nice balance of these young talents who I think are, are really special. And then, you know, they're captained by the old workhorse himself, Fabio Quagliarella, who is coming up to his 39th birthday. Um, and, you know, just still was their top scorer last year. He just doesn't seem to go past it. He just continues to score goals wherever he is. And, and I think Sam are lucky to have him. Uh, better watch out. Milan might bid for him. <laughs> they, they, would, for, they would surely, therefore, be the uh, the oldest strike force on earth. 110 year, a, year old strike force. We could play them all together as like a really narrow three. That'd be that'd be the most interesting. I think you could do with that. Um, but yeah, no, I, I think Sampa probably the longest shot of this. Um, they had a bit of a funny year under under Ranieri. It, the The business has been sort of a bit here nor there. They've brought in a couple of new centre forwards, I assume, to try to to take the goal scoring onus off Quagliarella. Um, but how they fit in and how that kicks under Diverso is still kind of up for debate. So um, they're they're the long shot, I'd say, of these, and, and probably I would have them at the moment in tenth. All right, fair play. Well, that's the top ten. 
pretty much covered from our perspective. So it's time to bring in some expertise on some of the more niche storylines that might go down in this year's Serie A. And to do so, we've brought in one of the oldest friends of this podcast, uh, a man who we spent many a happy day with in New York back in the day, uh, Mr. Marco Messina of the Italian football TV channel and podcast. And he's here to talk to us a little bit about the promoted sides, a bit about the sides who might struggle this year and a couple of big guns who had terrible years last year who he thinks are on the up. Well, I'm delighted to welcome Mr. Marco Messina to the Ranks FC podcast. Marco, it's great to have you back. Well, in the new format for the first time, obviously, on Ranks, but it's great to have you back in the building. It's great to see you, man. No, I'm so happy to be back. You guys have been doing an incredible job, uh, incredible work. I'm happy that Serie A has started. As I was telling you before, you know, I've, I've had to, you know, because I'm a football fan, I, I've been watching, you know, some of the Premier League. PSG. It's been like an antipasto for me. But now the main course is ready and uh, I'm ready to begin this weekend with Serie A. It's, a, it's one of those funny ones, isn't there? Because there's, there's a little bit of talk that, that Serie A is probably slightly weaker as a division, I think, this year. But actually, I'm really intrigued. And, I'm, you know, I'm always intrigued by that kind of fourth to seventh kind of play. That's, that's where my sweet spot is. But I think there's so much to look at in this league. And I think pretty much everywhere from sort of three downwards, you're looking at... A, a kind of new hope, a new a new kind of look at, at how this is going to work. And there's so much change on a managerial front. I know. It, it, it's incredible. And that's that's really the part that got us excited. When we started this year, you know, we had the likes of Mourinho coming in and, and, and returning to the league, who's, who's a guy that I love. But if you look at, you know, Sarri going to Lazio um, and, and all these different moves, Inzaghi going to Inter, Allegri returning to Juventus, the first to seven teams have fantastic coaches that could do a lot. And I think that's helped balance out the teams. And then obviously the effects of the transfer market with, you know, Inter getting weaker and some of the other sides just balancing out a little bit. I think it's going to lead up to a really exciting campionato with a lot of young players who could potentially break out. Also, shout out to your jersey over there, your, your Fiorentina jersey, as I'm looking at it. I, that you, you said that you love that sweet spot between, you know, three and seven. And I could tell perfectly because of your Fiorentina jersey. That's it. That's it. Well, we're hoping that Fiorentina squeeze in there at seven. That's, a, that's my hope as a challenger. I mean, look, I'm a massive admirer of, of what you do over at IFTV. And I think one of the things that you do best over there is the narratives that maybe people don't see so much, right? And the, and the fact that you're able to, to keep an eye on pretty much everyone and obviously your uh, sponsorship of Campo Paso down down the leagues a little bit. It's, it's amazing what you're doing. So basically, I'm hoping today that you can guide us through some of the, the maybe the narratives that people don't know so much in Serie A this year. And I thought it might be nice to start with the three promoted sides. And I know there's a lot of love at the moment for Venezia, given their kit launch and given how they've exploded into this kind of mainstream cultural touch point. Absolutely. Yeah. And I think one of the big explosions as well is also because a lot of people started following their journey when they were in the lower divisions. And then to see them get up to Serie A is pretty incredible. And it's it's beautiful. They were the last team that was promoted. They went through, you know, the playoff ranks. Nobody really expected it, to be honest. And they finished seventh, I never didn't did. they? Yeah, I think it was seventh, seventh or eighth place. But, you know, the way that it worked, Serie B is even crazier. Uh, championship like it, it's wild how things work over there you never know who's going to get promoted and who's going to get relegated but Venezia also brought in which which I think is a lot of the hype two American players that have just gone people going crazy over here in the states they got Gianluca Busio from Sporting KC mm. he's like a 19 year old kid that plays for the American national team he's also his father is Italian so he's got some Italian roots and then they got Tanner Testman from FC Dallas 
who's supposed to be, you know, a, a big physical midfielder, and they might even bring in some more. They're, they're American-owned. So I think the combination of that and then their beautiful kits have gotten people excited. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, there's a lot to do when you come up, right, in order to stay up. And look, it looks like a, it's a tough task for anybody, but especially for the team who wins the playoffs. They, they are probably, on paper, the weakest side in the division. Um, is there hope, Venezia, or is this going to be a real struggle? Listen, there's always hope in Serie A. I mean, at one point last year, if you look at what Cagliari was doing with Di Francesco, you're almost certain they were going to go down. And then they went on like this incredible run when they brought in Semplici of like 10 games or something like that. So you never know. You never know what's going to happen in Italy, especially with these small teams. They fight tooth and nail and something could come up and some sort of inspiration can come through that we're never expecting. But yes, listen, if we're speaking on paper and we're speaking right now, I don't want to be the guy that burst the Venezia bubble, but I'm not too confident about their team coming up. They did bring in Mattia Caldara, uh, you know, who's who's had his experience, yeah. not great experiences at some of the bigger clubs. A little uh, bit strong. of experience in the division is always a help. Absolutely. If he stays healthy, if he stays healthy, that's really been the problem with Caldara is he can't seem to to play consistent time. But if he can, that will definitely help. And listen, they have a lot of support going their way. So those are the things that will push them forward. But I think it's going to be a rough campionato for them, at least fighting for that 15, 16 and below positions. Yeah, well, I mean, I think any, you know, surviving on goal difference would be a huge win for for anyone that comes up, but especially for a team that come up uh, and especially through the the playoffs, because it's always difficult. I mean, you speak about Serie B there in the same way that I speak about the championship in England, right? It's a crazy, chaotic, mad league where anybody can beat anybody. And and you see that in the way that the, the playoffs work and it does make it incredibly exciting. But at the same time, it does make it difficult to make that step and stay there. What about the other two promoted teams? Um, obviously, Empoli stormed the league in in many ways and 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 they feel like uh, the side of the three who are probably most at home in, in Serie A but they also lost their coach yeah but Andrea Zoli is a, is, is a really is a really good coach you know he's he's a guy that, that um he's been in the league for a long time he's always been you know this sort of stable figure around Serie A clubs uh, with good spells and, and, and has been at Empoli before. I actually think it's a, it was a pretty good move, uh, you know, the, the fact that they did change coaches. But, yeah, they, they're a solid team. They brought in Cutrone, who used to play for AC Milan, if you, mm. if you remember. He was, he was like their, their wonder boy. And then he didn't do so well. I think he was in Wolves, right, in England. Yeah, he went on loan to Fiorentina. Went he to didn't, Fiorentina. didn't do brilliantly either. either no, he, he's, a, he's a workhorse. Like, he tries really hard. It's just, you know, the, the skill level, he lacks a little bit. You know, he, he was really somebody at Milan who read the game well and got himself into the positions to be able to score goals. But if he doesn't have the guys around him who could really service him in the best way, he's not that type of striker that could just create something out of nothing. So I think that Empoli is one of the new teams that's getting promoted that I see will end in the highest rank. That doesn't mean that they're going to go into the top half of the table. I still think that they're going to be in that, you know, second half of the bottom half of the table. But I think out of the three, they're the team that I'm probably most confident will stay in Serie A next season. 
Yeah, I think that's probably fair enough. I mean, look, it's it's not only the fact that they, you know, have uh, some good players here, a coach who seems to know exactly what he's doing, to someone to to kind of make this all tick along, because it is often just how much you can how much you can kind of stick around, right? It's a it's a question of uh, of just keeping in the fight, not getting caught away, not getting cut adrift, and being able to just like scrap it out towards the end of the season. If you've got someone who knows what they're doing, if they've got players, look, Katrina's not been unbelievable anywhere since those early Milan days you're right but he is someone that does know how to score goals and, I, and if it's someone that can put the ball in the back of the net at the end of the day you have the chance if you've got a shot at the final day where a win keeps you up you've got a shot on the final day no 100% and I think what you said um, you know about stability right it's it's kind of what you are alluding to that's the thing that's scary about Italy is that you never know what's going to happen with these coaches we have a bad 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 cycle of just a merry-go-round and yes it creates for drama because of course we Italians we love our drama but even if you look at the teams 12 out of 20 teams and said yeah change their coaches which personally I don't like that you know I'm not that type of person in Italy you do a couple bad games you're going to be sacked there's a new coach <laughs> that comes up yeah, no it's rest. ridiculous it's too much. It's too much. But that, that goes to show you that you don't know what to expect. These owners are a little bit crazy and, and they love the limelight. You know, they love to be able to fire their coach in, in the middle of the season and bring somebody new and they think they're going to do great. And even if you look back, what, what's crazy is that I say that, but then last year, Cagliari were doing terrible and then they gave Di Francesco a renewal. So you, you don't know what to expect with these teams, but we'll, we'll see. We'll see how it goes. And what of Salernitana, mate? Like there, there's a lot going on here. They're probably the one who's been spoken about least. Um, but this does feel like it's quite nice. They've been not, not been in, in Serie A since 998, if I'm not mistaken. It's been a long time coming this. And there's been obviously major troubles with the way the club has run, the fact they were refounded, et cetera, et cetera. And nice to see them back at top table yeah uh Salernitana you know it, it's a team that they have you know a great fan base one of my pers- close personal friends was playing with them in Serie B last year from Brooklyn and you know I was seeing some of the insides and how passionate their fans are which is always a beautiful thing to see they brought in Simi who's a fantastic striker I mean yep. the guy last year did a, a, a tremendous job and he deserved not to go down to B, to stay in a Serie A club, even though he loved Crotone, they were going down and he, he didn't belong to stay there. The thing is, they're another team that, I mean, for me, I will find it very hard to see them stay in Serie A another year. They have this whole problem where uh, Lotito, who's the owner of Lazio, also owns Salernitano, which is this. a conflict. That, it, it, it's not supposed to happen. It's not supposed to be a thing. But of course, somehow he still managed to keep that for now. I think they've given him like some sort of grace period for six months. I feel like he's just going to like rechange his name. You know, he's going to like write it like a different name. He's going to give it know? to his, bro- his brother. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We're yeah, in yeah. charge now. His brother. His brother. Uh, we don't, who knows what, what's going to happen with, in Italy. Uh, we don't, I don't know too much else about the team, just to be you know, totally honest. So I don't, I'm not expecting much. Yeah, no, I think that's fair enough. Now, I mean, we'll move upwards. And, and I suppose there's going to be some some shocks. There always is, right? So last year, we, we you mentioned Cagliari a couple of times there. And I think it's probably a fair, a fair shout to say that there wasn't much expected in terms of Cagliari struggling and then suddenly they were almost cut adrift and you look at the likes of Parma I think there were there was there was kind of hope that these big traditional Serie A sides would be okay and yet here we were in this kind of dogfight now is there anyone you see who's been maybe uh, around and about the league for a little while who you think might struggle this year against the odds I mean I think if we look at a team like Elas Verona hmm. 
Um, I don't like what they've done. They lost Yudich, who's a, a top, top, top He was coach. so good, yeah. He's so underrated. He's so underrated. He went to Torino, which is even more mind-boggling because I don't know why he went to Torino that was struggling and, and nearly got relegated. I thought they were going to get relegated at one point. But they brought in Eusebio Di Francesco, who, yes, you know, in his greatest moments, did amazing stuff with Roma. But I don't know if he's really the coach that can push a team like Elas Verona all the way. They've played some attack-minded football. They've tried to do the right things. But for me personally, that was thanks to Judic rather than, you know, the players that they had around him. So I see Elas Verona being one of the teams that that's probably going to struggle this year as well. Yeah, I think that's probably a fair shout. Like you look at this squad and while there are some players in here that you, you, you know, some, some household names in, in Miguel Veloso, Kevin Lasagna, there are, you know, there's also this kind of feeling that this squad was probably more than the sum of its parts over the last couple of years. And now that that, that kind of holding glue together has gone, does, does that become, you know, or does that revert to type, if you will, would be my, my big question. So I think this is fair enough. I mean, let's talk about Juric, though, and he, he's gone to Torino. Is that an yeah. up? That's a massive deal for them. That's a, a massive upturn for Torino because they were very nearly relegated, as you say. Is, is this them kicking on, kicking up with the table, do we think? Oh, 100%. They're going to have a completely new philosophy. Torino's been, you know, I, I, whenever I think about Torino, I, I think about some of the coaches that they had in their past, which have been shocking and, and play like such a, a boring type of football. This is going to be a complete, complete 180. Like he's going to try to turn this team around from the ground up. Yes, they'll take some time to, to manage to be able to learn that philosophy, but it's a massive move for Torino. I don't know what they gave him to convince him to go there because for me, I was even thinking about Juric potentially going to Fiorentina at one point yeah. because he was he was that kind of coach that I thought should have taken the step. You know, maybe he believes in the project. He believes in, in some of the players that they have that he thinks he could do a really great job with the likes of Belotti. Um, you know, I, I don't know. I don't know what he believes, but I think Torino is going to be one of those teams that's going to be fun to watch. And when Torino, I, I personally, like, even if you look at the last derbies against Juventus, they're not a team that fights. They're not a team that even tries to challenge. They're kind of just, they were just happy to just be there. And I don't think that's going to be Torino this year. Yeah, I mean, it's nice. It would also be such a wonderful thing to see Torino back, at, you know, in, in contention, back challenging, because it feels like, you know, it's nice when, like you say, cross-city rivalries, there's always going to be a big and a little club, you know, unless you are literally Milan. Um, like, you, there's always going to be a side that's, that's bigger in a rivalry. But there, there it does feel like when, when a side is punching upwards as the smaller club from a city, you get something really special going on. And we have it, you know, across across the world, really. And you see that there's this kind of real heartfelt feeling. To get that back at Torino, I think, would be something special. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. And, and they couldn't have gotten a better coach than Juric. Absolutely. I couldn't agree more. I mean, finally, I want to come bring this around full circle. We started talking at the start. We'll talk them at, here at the end um, and Cagliari because it can't go as badly as it did last year, can it? No, it can't. It can't. I think with Semplici, who, you know, stabilized the team, uh, I, I think that, you know, also when you look at their roster, because their team is not bad. Uh, Joao Pedro is also a fantastic player. Wonderful they did player. lose. They lost Nainggolan. Uh, so he's not, he's not going to be with them anymore. They brought in uh, Strutman who's a, you know, old player from Roma. He used mm. to play for Roma in the past. Uh, he's been around the city a little bit. I think his last club was might have been Marseille in France. 
So he'll, he'll help them. Nandez is a really good player on their right side as well. But I think that also what's going to play into Cagliari's favor is that the teams below them, quality and coaching-wise, are worse. So they're definitely going to be saved from relegation. I don't think that they really will need to worry about that. So maybe that will help them play a, a more positive style of football that, that they're probably built to play. Yeah, it feels like the squad is probably better than it was given credit for. Like, I think Diego Gordini is going to leave and that's probably fine. But, you know, yeah. as, as where you look at it now, you have to you know take everything with that kind of small pinch of salt and be like, you think that Cagliari will, will kick on and, and be a better side than they were last year. And Mark, I'm going to finish by asking you two questions. We've already spoke on the pod at this point about the top 10. But I assume as a, as a Juventino that you are very, very much in favour of Juventus winning this and, and that's who you're backing yes I would I would I think that last year I, I had Inter winning the league you know just objectively I think that they were way better especially with a serial winner like Antonio Conte but then everything that's happened I mean it was days after their Scudetto celebrations that they just started to fall apart the first piece being Conte and you know he kind of knew what was going to happen because slowly after that, Hakimi left. They were losing piece after piece. And then Lukaku, who we said, you know, Marotta and the whole management promised, okay, one sign. One, one guy's going to lose, leave. They accepted that Hakimi's going to leave. Okay, it's fine. You know, you got a big price, $70 million for fullback. But then they lost Lukaku. And for me, those are three pieces that they couldn't lose. And that played into the favor of Juventus, who will likely win. I also think Juventus is a team on the rise because last year they tried that Andrea Pirlo experiment, which, you know, they, he was set up to fail at the end oh, of absolutely. the day. It's, it, wasn't, it was not his fault. They're bringing in Max Allegri, who the guy, you know, people can criticize him. They can say that his style of football is boring. He's not fun, but the man gets results. The man will grind out games. And if you look at what Juventus did last year, Juventus lost four points to Benevento. Who Benevento... Yeah. You realize we did not cover them. They're in Serie B. Uh, Juventus does not lose seven, uh, sorry, four points to Benevento. That's that's something that Allegri will not do. Yeah, it's not in the DNA. It's not in Allegri's DNA. It's, it's not in Juventus's DNA. But it it felt like last year there was always oh we could have a go here, and uh, and you don't want that when you when you well, as I'd imagine as a Juventus fan, that's the last thing you want. You don't want teams going. You know what? We can have a go at these. We'll have a we'll have a little crack. So I'd imagine that that winning mentality is going to be right back. Last question, and uh, we've we've discussed it. Me, Sam, Dean have very different views on this. Where do Roma finish under Mourinho? Oof. Oh my God. I actually really like Roma. Uh, we know we just saw a couple hours ago, they, they announced Tammy Abraham, who I hope is going to be really good under Jose Mourinho. They're getting Zaniolo back, who, uh, if you remember Galliani, who was the famous director of Milan, he used to say like when a player's coming back from injury, they're a new signing. So I'm going to steal his term and say that Zaniolo is going to be like a new signing for Roma, who's coming back jacked. He's been he's been hitting the gym a lot. I don't he's know if you've seen he's been on that He's been on the Bayern Munich flex. He, he's got yes, to work yeah. with those boys. Exactly. Exactly. I I love I love that Mourinho is coming to Rome. Roma's a, an interesting piazza where they don't have a history of winning, but the fans demand a lot and they expect to compete. And I don't think that they've ever had a recently they have not had a coach that's willing to accept that pressure. And if there's any coach in the world that says, you know what, throw it on me. Don't blame the players. Don't blame this. Don't put the pressure on me. I'll take the media spotlight. It's Jose Mourinho. And I think this is an ability, a, a time for him also to reinvent himself because he's been at top teams where he could buy players. He could do this. He could do that. He's kind of going back to his Porto roots 
where he's like, this is what I got at my, on my table. Like I got to sign younger guys. I got to sign more unknown players. I'm not getting the best players in the world, but guess what? We're going to be able to grind out wins. Having said that, there are teams that are probably better than them on paper. I have them in, in my top six, hoping to fight for a champions league. If, if, if Atalanta will sell Zapata or, if some other moves go through, you know, if Napoli were losing Senia, then I think they're pushing for the top four. They, they, they'll they probably get Champions League, but I had them just below, but I would not be surprised if they make Champions League this season. That is the fully biggest sitting on the fence answer I've ever heard. And I, I, and know. I respect okay. it. <laughs> I got you. One second. I, I have it written down. I have Roma in sixth. I have yeah, Roma, Roma in sixth. Six. Okay. Sam, six. Sam has them sixth. I have them six. four. I have four. them four. So, uh, so here we go. We'll, we'll see. We'll come back to these at the end of the season, my friend. And we'll, uh, we'll get to it. Um, but for now, Marco, thank you so much for joining us. Uh, just probably reignite our listeners as to where they can find you and all the brilliant stuff you're doing. No, thank you so much. You, you guys are fantastic. You're doing an incredible job covering so many different leagues. I, I admire your knowledge. I'm I'm a one-trick pony. I only got Serie A, and that's pretty much it. So I respect how much you know about the other leagues. It, it's truly admirable. And yeah, if you're trying to learn a little bit more about Serie A, you can find this uh, on Italian Football TV, Instagram, Twitter, YouTube, all that kind of good stuff. And, and don't be alarmed if you turn on our podcast and you see a bunch of old Italian men screaming at each other. That's just kind of the way it goes around us. That's the best bit of your podcast. <laughs> That's the best bit. Um, and you uh, as you that. say, you're a master of a trade. I'm just a jack of money. Um, but Marco, thank you so much. It's been a real pleasure. Welcome back to the Ranks FC podcast with me, Jack Collins, Mr. Dean Jones, and Mr. Sabtai. And Dean, it's time for my favorite part of the week. It's time for Melon of the Week. This week's Melon of the Week is. New York Red Bulls goalkeeper, Carlos Coronel. No idea if I've pronounced his name right. Apologies if I haven't. But for 90 minutes, uh, this game was tied. Looking for a draw. It looked looked like a 1-1. And then we headed into the final stages. A handball in the box and a penalty to Montreal. And what followed was PK madness. PK madness. So, first of all, Um, the first penalty, Jotson, who, who'd only been on the pitch since the 85th minute, he decided because he'd won the penalty, he forced this guy to handball it. Um, he would take the spot kick. So even though one of his teammates was trying to take the ball off him, Mason Toy was trying to take the ball off him. He's like, no, I'm taking this. So Jonsson takes the pen. Goalkeeper Carlos Coronel saves it. But as his teammates mob him, ref goes to video review, stepped off his line. Encroachment, retake. Okay, so then <laughs> Montreal swap PK takers. So Toy then goes, right, you're not having this one as well. I'm taking this one. Toy steps up, puts the ball on a spot. The goalkeeper saves it. So you're thinking this isn't very Melanish behavior. Oh, yes, it is. Because as he, they quickly try and break away, ref stops play. He's stepped off his line again. <laughs> so he saved two penalties. Oh, he's punished no. for both because he's come off his line. So we're into penalty attempt. Number three, new taker. Of course, Victor Wanyama <laughs> steps up. It's like a penalty shootout at this point. But it's taken about eight minutes, by the way. Coronel, this time, stays on his line, gets both hands to the ball, goes into the top corner. It's a last-minute winner for Montreal. Keeper kicks his post. He's very annoyed at himself because he knows, ultimately, he's a melon. 
Oh god, that oh, is dude. bad. That is bad. It's 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 mad that someone saved two penalties and they've just won Mel of the Week. <laughs> I know it, it seems harsh, doesn't it? For sure. Big shout out, by the way, to one of our listeners, Mo, who brought this to my attention. He said, just make sure you've seen this game before giving out Melon of the Week. He said, I don't know who you'll actually give it to, but someone there deserves it. And <laughs> yeah, a bit harsh. I mean, not often you would have three penalties taken against you and save two of them, but ultimately, if you didn't save them fairly. You're going to get punished. Doesn't I think any, anybody that concedes a penalty to Victor Wanyama is a melon. <laughs> <laughs> it just creeps into the top corner as well. He does got both hands on it. It's funny. Yeah, hey, Victor Wanyama, what a player. What a player he was. Yeah, absolutely. What a player he was. The gibberish siren. The gibberish siren, yeah. And it sounds like this week Dean Jones are taking over gibberish duties. Yep, Sam forgot about this part of his job again um, two weeks into the season and Sam's forgotten about his gibberish. So I, just don't step- have, I just don't have enough in the locker, lads. I mean, I know, Jack, you said last week and I expect you to have loads saved up. I, look, I need inspiration for these what things. What have you been and doing? Like, I haven't been anywhere. Keep, you should have kept them kept them for all across the summer. I've been writing down notes, all sorts. You know, Anyway. No, no inspiration. I've got one. I've literally written it in the time that we've been recording this podcast um, to make sure we had one. And it's not really gibberish, but it's three mad things from this weekend in football. Let's see, it was properly the domestic football uh, campaign properly was up and running. So I've just found three things that I found funny or ridiculous. And number three was PSG unveiling players on a podium like they were trophies. Uh, so all their new signings were, were brought out to the centre of the pitch. And like you would get when when your team wins a cup final and they bring out that thing to the, the centre circle and they set it all up and the players standing there with the cup and stuff and jump around. They just had the players there. There's no cup there yet. They'll bring that in at the end of the season and see how many they've to celebrate with but it was just all the new signings lined up obviously Messi among them while the crowd just clapped at how much cl- how much money the club had to spend on these players <laughs> so that, that that was very very funny they were fireworks man they were it letting off fireworks, fireworks. Yeah, it was like what, a they, what they should have done was brought all the other PSG players out in their kit to stand around the podium and like go mad <laughs> like <laughs> that, that would have really kind of done the, that would have been made that would have made this number one I think totally totally at number two um, I discovered that the Premier League is now lawless. <laughs> so we've gone from one extreme to another. Last season, you couldn't score a goal without it being ruled out. You couldn't tackle someone without getting a red card. It was ridiculous. And now it turns out we've got the complete opposite of that. You can do basically whatever you like. Um, the thicker VAR lines mean you can now stand offside, basically. They'll just make the lines much thicker for you. Um, <laughs> <laughs> goals will always count. You can you can make some pretty dodgy challenges they'll get away with them as well Deli um, Ali attempted an assault at one point yeah, I'm pretty absolutely. sure in the final game of, there was a lot of challenges that never would have been allowed, uh, allowed last season or even the season before that and um, it's going to be fun I'm, I'm up for this totally it's like fouling football has reached the Premier League so uh, this is good <laughs> red card soccer yeah, yeah. <laughs> at number one we have to talk about this man even if it's just for two minutes Erling Haaland is an actual robot. He's a football <laughs> robot. I don't know who's created him, but we need to find out and make more of them because it is well, a we have. They have. They've made Albert Charland, who uh, is his cousin, who's basically doing the same thing. They're going to be, true. it's absolutely terrifying. Imagine Norway strike force for the next 10 years. You're like, oh God, they've got the Haaland cousins. Like, absolutely true. Yeah, so two games into the season for Holland, he's got um, eight goal contributions, <laughs> um, five goals, 
three assists. A plays obviously playing against Bayern Munich on the Tuesday night as we're recording this. So by the time you're listening, you'd have seen how many goals he managed to score against Bayern Munich. Probably another hat trick, given the way that Bayern defended on Friday night. Um, yeah, just watch Haaland this season, everyone. As we said on the Patreon the other day. Uh, this is his farewell tour of Bundesliga and get to as many dates as you can, if possible, or at least watch him on TV if you can't. I can't believe you've done this without mentioning Alexander Mitrovic's Puskas contender. Uh, I cannot, cannot believe that you haven't mentioned in the three maddest things to happen this weekend. The fact that Fulham scored the single worst goal in football history. Um, <laughs> if you haven't seen it, one, go and check it out. Two... The ball goes back. Fulham are playing Huddersfield. The ball is volleyed back, like really aggressively at the keeper. I think it goes out on the touchline for throw-in to begin with. It then gets back to the keeper who tries to chest it and keep it in play. It goes out again. That's miles he then, out. He then volleys it, but miskicks it. Um, so he, he puts his hand up to apologise because he thinks going to a defender. He hasn't seen Mitrovic stealing in. Mitrovic then falls over. It hits him on the leg. As it goes up into the air, it loops up. The keeper's running back. Harry Wilson's chasing it in and it just ends up bouncing over the line. Keeper's in the back of the net is in a tangle. And Mitrovic gives it the full celebration. The whole uh, the whole hand to his ear doing the the, the rotating, the rotating <laughs> the madman, the Luca Tony. It was honestly the single worst goal I've ever seen. And I demand demand that FIFA give it the push gas immediately, immediately. Um, yeah, I didn't include that because I was talking about elite level football. <laughs> what do you mean? This is elite level football. That's football at its finest. That mate. was the amateur football at its finest. That's it the anti-push gas. The anti-push gas, yeah. The, the new award from Ranks FC, the anti-push gas. We'll find the worst goal scored in any given year um, and give it an award. And with that voice, I think it's probably time to call it a day. Uh, and all that's left for me to do is say thank you very much to Marco Messina uh, for joining us from the Italian football TV channels and podcasts. Go and check them out for everything culture, everything Serie A. Um, thank you very much, Sam Sai. Cheers, mate. Thank you very much, Dean Jones. Cheers, mate. I've been Jack Collins. This has been Ranks FC. Thank you so much for listening. We will be back on Friday on Patreon on a Wednesday next week on this main feed with, well, I would imagine, Dean, probably some transfer bits. I think so. See you later. Take it easy. Yeah.